Welcome to Books with Bitches. I'm Maria. And I'm Madison. Welcome. And after a long hiatus, we finally get to record together again. Yay! Yay! Busy schedules. But we're going on our second section of The Glass Castle by Jeanette Wells. And I have a lot to say about this section. Do you meow? Yes, but I'll hold... As we continue to go through this section and talk about it, I might get a little angry. I hope not. Oof, please be me. Please be, be the angry one for once, because usually it's me. Oh, it's just oh with this book. So, but side note, make sure you follow us on our Instagram, Spotify, or any podcast listening platforms that you listen to at Books with Bitches with a one. Oh, that's the that email. Oopsies. So it's books w bitches spelled with a one at gmail.com. All podcasting platforms is just books w bitches. So yeah, like us, follow us, send us a DM with them. Book recommendations. We've gotten a couple, but all from people we know. (laughs) That's okay. Be be the one that's different and that we don't know. Well, it was funny because my our first book request is it's from my husband. And we decided we have to read it after my next pick. So, and it was like hilarious because I sent him. So my little sister sent me the video as a joke. Mm -hmm. And then it was from his favorite childhood movie. So I sent it to him as a joke. And then he responded with, hi, books with bitches. I'd like to make a book request. (laughs) I think I briefly saw that. Then I just said LMAO and he said, please. Please. But anyway. Did you find it? No, no, because my phone is being weird. Okay, let me get in my swamp. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think that'll be a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, his cousin requested a book and I read it. Well, it's like a novella, but I need to record an episode on that. Unless you also want to read it and then we can record like a normal episode and then an episode with Georgia. What is it? Uh, the Haunted Vagina. That's the 80 page one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can try and read it. Your face right now was just like, you did not just say that to me. I I know I like briefly looked at the thing and I was like, yeah, I don't think I paid attention to the title. All I know is that there's a girl on there. What would you rate this section? Honestly, a fucking two. Well, okay, but like, let me take that back. A three because it kept me engaged and it made me so mad reading it. Like it made my blood boil, which is why I give it a two for overall because I fucking hate this book. It's good, but I hate this book. I had a friend who sent me a a Snapchat and she was like, oh, I heard that book was so good. I was like, no, dude, I fucking hate it. Like it makes my blood boil. That's why I give it a two. But doesn't that mean it's good because the author's like making you feel things? Exactly. Which is why I'm like kind of at a crossroads because I'm like, wow, like the author has a really good way of portraying like emotion and like making you feel things. For me, emotionally, I can't do this. Like I, your, your parents are stupid. (laughs) Every time she says something that the mom, like some excuse that the mom fucking makes, I roll my eyes. I'm like, can you get any worse? And then next section I fucking read, yes, she can get even worse. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to put the book down. Like I can only read it in short bursts because I get so upset. Call me dramatic, but yeah, it's, it's annoying. Well, it's funny because I was watching, you're like, did you know the Glass Castle is a movie? And I was like, no. I was like watching one of the trailers for it. And like in the trailer, it looks like the, obviously the dad is kind of the bad guy. But, like, the mom looks like the reasonable parent in some of the trailers. Right. And then I'm reading the book and I was like, the mom is worse than the dad. 
at least the dad is like gone, not contributing to like their trauma. I mean, he's contributing to their trauma. He's not there making excuses. They can't see what he's doing outside, right? Okay, but, but the, the mom always- didn't say he must be so lonely. I was on the plane when I read that and I wanted to throw the book so bad. Or saying that everyone has good traits no matter how bad they are and that Hitler liked dogs. Liking dogs is not a good trait. <laughs> I was like, I literally read that. I was like, this bitch is stupid. Sorry, I don't mean to talk shit about your family, but like you're you're writing a book about your family. I'm going to kind of judge. Sorry. You're free to make your own opinions. So already getting me started. That's my job. I would say I rate this like a 3.5 ish. I don't know. I feel like my book rating scale doesn't really fit for memoirs. Memoirs don't but and I, we've talked about this. Like, I don't like reading memoirs because I I feel like a judgmental asshole. And my, my, mm-hmm. I, I was talking. So I've joined a book club. Okay. And they're voting on a book for next month. And I was reading through all of the choices. And I said, all of these choices fucking suck. And Luke was like, you are just so judgmental. He's like, how do you know? You've never read any of them. I was like, I'm reading all the synopsises and they all suck. And then I was like, Someone wants to read Inkheart. That book's for fifth graders. Are we back in elementary school? Yeah, I was like, and I was telling Luke, I was like, I really want to be a part of a book club, but I hate all the book choices. He's like, well, he's like, that'd be a deal breaker for me. And I was like, I'm going to give it another month. I had to read Flicker in the Dark. Jesus. You didn't like it? Don't tell me because I have it in my bookshelf. I know you have it in your bookshelf. You posted the Instagram. I know. But uh, it's a thriller. Of course, I don't like it. Let me know what you think about it. And once you read it, we can okay. talk about it maybe for the podcast and I can just tell you all the things I hated about it. And then you can be all like, Madison, you have once again ruined a book I liked. Yeah, I do get a little scared reading certain books with you because I'm like, is Madison going to make me hate it? Pointing out obvious shitty things is not my fault. It's okay. I, I read for just fun. Like me and Taylor, when we read together, like because she read The Silent Patient and she's like, oh my gosh, it was so good. But I'm like, if you read The Silent Patient... Are you going to think the same thing? Or are you going to be like, this was fucking stupid? Do you want me to read The Silent Patient? No, please don't. <laughs> I, I kind of want to read it now. And I'll just do a an Unhinged with Madison episode and be like, Maria didn't want me to read this. And I'm going to read it. And now I'm going to make her listen to the episode of me tearing it apart. Yeah, no thanks. Please don't take away my joy. <laughs> now I'm going to because you told me not to. Anyways, um, we should probably get into this section. We're uh, starting on page 94 in my book, and it's they pulled up to the house on North Street in Phoenix, and the grandma is dead. Right. And they're talking about how big this house is. I think it had 14 rooms. And I was like, if this house is so big and y'all are struggling for money, rent out the rooms. And then right. the mom is like, I don't want to because I shouldn't have to share my space with other people and i was like this woman has no idea what fucking priorities are no no and we learned that a lot more later too all i had for this not all i had but i did have you know they're talking about how great this house is or whatever and um jeanette was like we were definitely moving up in the world and for me my thought was i'm still stuck on how they had this house but later they're in new york like what happened and of course we do see what happened later but it was that was my main focus was like why are they now in new york what happened what happened to the house yeah you know anyway so yeah that's what i had to say for that and then i have on page 95 near the bottom they're talking about the kids when they're they're in school and they 
they're good getting put in gifted reading groups. Mm-hmm. The kids are making fun of it because they're like, we can just fucking read. Like, gifted is a dumb title. And dad said, don't make a mockery of it because you're special. Haven't I always told you that? Brian gave dad a sideways look. If we're so special, he said slowly. Why don't you? His words petered out. What dad asked? What? Brian shook his head. Nothing. I love to see how salty Brian is towards the dad so young in his life. Right. Which just goes to show how smart Brian is as a kid. And it also goes to show kids fucking notice. Right. And and it's like Lori does the same thing too, where she'll say things under her breath. And really the only person that is almost naive, she's naive at first, but then we later see in the section, like she starts to notice what the fuck my family's kind of messed up. Is Jeanette, where she's like, no, like my, my parents are like, my dad especially, like I'm his biggest fan. And like even Lori at one point goes, why do you keep encouraging him? Yeah. Wasn't that what to do with, like, the car? They were, like, speeding yeah. down the highway, going too fast. Mm-hmm. And I mean... <laughs> okay, but can we talk about how shitty the mom is on page 96? Yes. When we find out that Lori... Oh, my God. <laughs> and Lori's like, I need glasses. And the mom says, no, Sari, she didn't approve of glasses. If you had weak eyes, mom believed, they needed exercise to get strong. The, she's, the way she saw it, glasses were like crutches. They prevented people from with feeble eyes from learning to see the world on their own. She said people had been trying to get her to wear glasses for years and she had refused but the nurse sent another note saying Lori couldn't attend Emerson unless she wore glasses and the school would pay for them so mom gave him so the only reason why she even got fucking glasses was because the school offered to pay for them so what happened to your whole holier than thou oh you don't need glasses because you need ju- you just need exercise for your eyes I mean it's also like she couldn't attend school unless she wore glasses so, so that pissed like me off wants her to attend school but also I don't wear glasses these aren't real they're my blue light glasses but I know because I'm getting older I'm straightening my eyes. Like, so I should probably go to the optometrist. It's bad for your eyes. It makes your eyesight worse the more you strain your eyes. I usually wear my glasses, but like every once in a while I don't like, especially if I go to the gym, I don't wear them. That's yeah. why I don't have them on. But like, oh, at night, you best believe I'm wearing my glasses because I can't see shit. But yeah, it was like really sad that like after Lori got her glasses, she was like, oh my gosh, I can see everything. And it made sense why she wouldn't go on adventures because she couldn't fucking see. I that made me so sad when Jeanette was like, I always wondered why Lori never wanted to go on adventures with me and me and Brian. And it's so fucking cute. Lori is just like, you can see that? Mm-hmm. I felt so bad for her. And then I think they have the mom try the glasses on. They're like, did you see it better? She's like, I wouldn't say better. I'd say different. Oh, mom, you should get a pair. And she goes, I like the world just fine the way I see it, which is like, to, to me, it says she's fucking stubborn as hell. Yeah. So is Laura like nearsighted? Yeah. If she can't see, if she can't see far away, she's nearsighted. If she can't see close, she's farsighted. Okay. It sounds like she's nearsighted. But anyways, uh, next thing I have is on page 101. Before that, the dad bought them bicycles. They were all like super excited that they got bicycles. I don't really know why. Because I never had bikes before. I think that's probably why I marked it was like, wow, okay, like your dad got a job and now you guys finally get bicycles. This is like a big transition for the kids, especially going from we have never owned anything Mm -hmm. to now we own something. So it's probably really excited for them finally own something. Kind of like how the mom says with the house, it's hers. It's nice to own something. Right. And then before 101, I also had on page 100, you know, they're talking about how glorious everything is. One, and we also noticed that the mom is buying all the stuff for her art studio. And I'm like, okay, well, what's happening with the rest of the money? Are you spending it all? Are you being smart with it? Which I highly doubt. So any 
Anyway, despite our wondrous appliances, life in Phoenix wasn't a total luxury. We had about a gazillion cockroaches, big strong things with shiny wings. We had just a few at first, but since mom was not exactly a compulsive cleaner, they multiplied. After a while, entire armies were scuttling across the walls and the floors and the kitchen counters and Battle Mountain. We had lizards to eat the flies and cats to eat the lizards. We couldn't think of any animal that liked to eat roaches, so I just suggested we buy roach spray like all our neighbors did, but mom was opposed to chemical warfare. It was like with those shell no pest strips, she said we'd end up poisoning ourselves too. I don't know about this area and I don't know about the time. I don't even think you need to be a compulsive cleaner to keep cockroaches out of your house. I think you need to clean your house like a normal person at least once a week. Like how are you okay with your house being disgusting. You have to be living in deplorable conditions for cockroaches to be multiplying. And then we see like, well, I don't know you know, they're the killing. Like they might. Just... I didn't really see any cockroaches when I was in Phoenix. I don't know. I don't know. I was, I'm so, trying to be charitable. No, not, fuck it. She deserves <laughs> it. Mom is fucking normal. I'm like, maybe it's just um, the area. Like it's just a bad area where cockroaches come in no matter what. The house also had termites. Cool. Yeah, they couldn't fucking uh, take care of that. And the woods were chewed. Okay. So we already know that the house is like falling apart because the cockroaches on top of the termite we kept stepping on soft spots in the floorboards crashing through and creating null holes damned if this floor isn't starting to look like a piece of swiss cheese let's see he finished off the beer he was drinking snipped the can open with his wire cutters hammered it flat and nailed it over the hole we need he needed more patches he said so he had to go out and buy another six pack after he polished off the beer he used the can and repair the holes i said you have all of this new art supplies but you don't have enough money to repair your floor tbh it's probably cheaper to buy art supplies than it is to buy a new floor that's where we get into the conversation of the parents' priorities are terrible. You buy another six pack. Alcohol adds up fast. Well, he's using the cans to fix the floor. Yeah. Then he has to buy new alcohol, more alcohol I mean, to get the cans. But he's using the cans. Like, I'm more charitable to the dead in this case than anything. And I shouldn't be because. Yeah. All right. Second section. I have something on page. Oh my god, page one hundred two. Our neighborhood is infested with perverts, and then their parents aren't even locking the door at night. No. Oh my god. I was pissed. <laughs> one hundred three. Maureen, who was four and had a terrible fear of the boogeyman, kept dreaming that intruders and in Halloween masks were coming through the open doors to get us. One night, when I was almost ten, I was awakened by someone running his hands over my private parts. At first, it was confusing. Lori and I slept in the same bed, and I thought maybe she was moving in her sleep and I groggily pushed the hand away. I just want to play a game with you, the man's voice said. I recognized the voice. It belonged to the scraggly guy with sunken cheeks. Pervert, I yelled and kicked at the man's hand. Brian came running, so then they go and chase him with around. With a hatchet. But mom was, dad was out that night and then apparently mom is such a heavy sleeper she wouldn't hear if a fucking bomb exploded. The next day when dad came home, we told him about what happened and he said he was going to kill that lowlife son of a bitch. He and Brian and I went on a serious pervert hunt, our blood up. We searched the street for hours, but never did find the guy. I asked mom and dad if we should close the doors and the windows when we went to sleep. They wouldn't consider it. We needed fresh air. They said, and it was essential that we refuse to surrender to fear. Though the windows stayed open, Maureen kept having nightmares of men in Halloween masks. And every now and then when Brian and I were getting feeling revved up, he'd get a machete and I'd get a baseball bat and we'd go on pervert hunting, clearing the streets with the creeps who preyed on kids. Their argument, we needed the fresh air. So they refused to surrender 
alternative here. Because your child's safety is less important than fucking fresh air? That doesn't make sense. You are so fucking selfish that you'd rather keep the fucking doors unlocked than the protection of your own fucking children. It's a multi-story house. Just keep the top story windows open. Right. Like, literally dumb. Things I don't understand. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. I got mad. The fact that they would go to church and then they would make the dad go and he would always say some weird thing to the priest and try to get a rise out of him and I'm like that's okay one first of all that's like really socially awkward and embarrassing like stop I get it maybe do do that offline not while there's a service and everyone's listening how about we don't make the dad go to church right yeah that too but mom feels that he must go because she's stupid clearly the mom is not my favorite character and she will never be you can't just call people stupid Maria oh I sure fucking can if you don't care about your child's safety I have something on 105 but I don't know because the cat is on it. Uh, I think they, the parents are arguing again because I all my notes. Okay. I think it's the whole church thing yeah. that you were just talking about. And at one point, the ushers would tell us we'd have to leave. And it says, don't worry. God understands. Mom said, he knows that your father is the cross we must bear. Why are y'all married? Like, at all. Right. Like, you think your husband's such, like, a fucking burden. Because I guess she's comfortable. I don't know. I, she doesn't seem very comfortable. Maybe it's, like, she's more comfortable being with him than having to go, well, she doesn't even have her mom anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she feels like it's her job to take care of him. Well, if she's deeply religious, she probably can't. She's like, I don't believe in divorce. Yeah, we see later. But I'm like, divorce is healthy. <laughs> yeah. If you need a divorce, get a divorce. <laughs> Well, at that time, apparently it was frowned upon. I mean, it's still taboo now. I was like, I feel like it's less taboo now. It's less taboo now, but back in the day, oh, did you hear that they were, they got a divorce? Oh, she's ran through now. That's that's disgusting. But that's all I had for that chapter. Yeah. Um, I have something on page 109. Okay, so for me on 107, um, just to get into it, basically city life was getting to dad. And so they go to the zoo. The family goes to the zoo and so dad pointed to the biggest scaliest alligator me and that nasty looking bastard is going to have us a staring contest dad stood on the bridge glowering at the alligator at first it seemed to be asleep but then it blinked and looked up at dad dad continued staring his eyes in a fierce squint after a minute the alligator thrashed his tail looked away and slid into the water see you just have to communicate your position maybe he would have gone for a swim anyway brian whispered what do you mean i asked didn't you see how nervous that gator got dad made him do it so again brian being the rational one and jeanette being like no oh, dad's a animal whisper. Okay, but then they get in the cheetah cage on page 108. Yeah, I have a whole sticky note of my comment for that. <laughs> and then, then Jeanette gets in and it's like licking her hand and then... People are like, oh my God, this man should be arrested. And then Jeanette's like, it's fine. My dad does stuff like this all the time. <laughs> they come in and then I think people are talking about the crazy drunk man and his dirty little urchin children. But who cared what they thought? None of them had ever had their hand licked by a cheetah. And I was like, do you not realize how dangerous that was for you? What if it ate you? Right. This is what I said. This whole book is absolutely wild. A whole cheetah really licked your hand. One, your dad is dumb for trying to prove a point about animals, especially in front of others. And two, I can't stand these people. Jeanette, stop defending him. She's like, what, like 11 now? I think so. Maybe younger. Like, I get it. Like, you look at your dad and you're like, oh my gosh, I love him so much. He's going to do so much for me. But it's like, how much of it is is enough? You know, Brian sees it. Lori sees it. When are you going to start seeing it? Yeah. Get to the next part. And it's like, dad lost his job again. Mm -hmm. And it said, whatever money mom had inherited from Grandma Smith had disappeared. And once again, we were started to scrape by. I have something on page 111. 
It's the shoplifting thing on 111. And like, yeah, thrift store dresses are not sin? good enough for Marine. Right. But they were good enough for your other kids. Yeah. Mom told us that we have to go shoplifting. Isn't that a sin? Not exactly. God doesn't mind you bending the rules a little if you have a good reason. It's sort of like justifiable homicide. This is justifiable pilfering. The mom literally makes up everything as she goes. Only, she only makes it up as long as it suits her. Mm-hmm. But anyone else, like, no, no, no. Well, like, how that's wrong. Yeah. Well, then I get like to the thing where I'm like, how is she not like justified to get a divorce at this point? Because it obviously would suit her. Right. But because she's so religious, that's that's frowned upon i mean so is fucking shoplifting but it's yeah you're right justified pilfering like you could have so a just justifiable divorce Hattis says get a divorce get a divorce oh uh this is also the chapter oh this kills me after oh, i read this I like, the bank thing no not the bank fee but it's like the last paragraph slash section on 113 where it's like i have a really good feeling about this christmas mom announced in early december Lori pointed out that the last few months hadn't gone so so well exactly this is god's way of telling us to take charge of our own fates god helps those who help themselves okay whatever and so they all go through like the thrift store and they go shopping for each other they're like genuinely gonna have a good time on christmas morning as mentioned in the first section johnette was like we would celebrate christmas a week after because that's when everything was like super super cheap and they got a christmas tree and they decorated decorated it with all the ornaments that they had found from grandma's house. I suggest that maybe this once mom should let dad off the hook about going to mass, but she said stopping by God's house for a quick hello was especially important at times like this. So dad staggered and mind you, dad has been drinking and lurched into the church with us. During the sermon, the priest discussed the miracle of immaculate conception and the virgin birth. Virgin my ass, dad shouted. Mary was a sweet Jewish broad who got herself knocked up. The service came to a dead halt. Everyone was staring. The choir had swiveled around in unison and were gaping open mouth. Even the priest was speechless. Dad had a satisfied grin on his face, and Jesus H. Christ is the world's best-loved bastard. And I said, I truly hate this family so much, it angers me. And it's not that I hate the kids, I hate the fucking parents. That you're putting your children through this, and you have no shame. I don't even want to justify it. It's like, well, he is drunk, but also, like, how about we listen to Jeanette, Mom? Let Dad off the hook not go to church. If, if my husband acted like that in church, if I went to church, I fucking don't, but if my husband acted like that in church, homie would not be going with me. No. But then let's talk about what else dad does to add a fucking cherry to the ice cream cake. Let's really light up this Christmas, dad said, and thrust the lighter into the Douglas fir. The dried out needles caught fire immediately. The flames leapt from the branches with a ca- crackling noise. Christmas ornaments exploded from the heat. For a few moments, we were too stunned to do anything. Mom called for blankets and water. We were able to put the fire out, but only by knocking down the tree, smashing most of the ornaments and ruining all of our presents. Dad sat on the sofa the whole time laughing and telling mom that he was doing her a favor because trees were pagan symbols of worship. Once the fire was out and sodden, burned tree lay smoldering on the floor, we just sat there. No one tried to wring dad's neck or yell at him or even point out that he'd ruined the Christmas his family had spent weeks planning. The Christmas that was supposed to be the best we'd ever had. When dad went crazy, we all had our own ways of shutting down and closing off and that was what we did that night. It's not the kid's fault. It's never the kid's fault. Obviously the dad shouldn't have ever done that. Would he have done that? if they had taken him to church? I don't know. Would he have been as riled up if they hadn't gone to church? But the thing is, is, you know, I said, we all had our own way of shutting down. And you think, would I have done that? Would I have? Yet? Like, I think they're just so used to it that maybe they're the like, okay. The kids can't they're... leave. Like, the kids have to shut down. That's that's right. the only way they're going to survive. The mom at this point really should have left the dad. But that, like, broke my heart for the kids. That's just sad. Oh, it's terrible. So, Oh, so she was nine. 
when the whole cheetah thing happened because then on page 116 i turned 10 that spring but birthdays were not a big deal so dad finally takes jenna outside and was like okay let's let's hear your birthday wish and she was nervous isn't this when she asked him to stop drinking you know if it's humanly possible i'll get it for you and if it ain't humanly possible i'll die trying i looked up at the thin swirl of clouds high in the blue arizona sky keeping my eyes fastened on those distant clouds i took a breath and said do you think you could maybe stop drinking i just think mom would be a lot happier plus we'd have the extra money your 10 year old is telling you this but it doesn't do anything um well it does for a little bit and can we talk about how <laughs> dangerous what he does is it's trying to oh well okay so if you're an alcoholic and you try to quit cold turkey you can kill yourself if you decide you want to get treated for your alcoholism you what you can do is go to the emergency room admit yourself and they'll give you a fucking alcohol iv like i've seen it done and they wean you off of it that's the only safe way to do it i said you you know you're fucking when your kid asks you to stop drinking mm-hmm. and then on page 118 where i'm like do you think him detoxing is going to last or if he's going to kill himself trying and then i have on page 120 where they're like one of the grand canyon motherfuckers oh uh before that i have the one where oh, this pissed me off okay so really quick we're at, we were out in the desert now the telephone pole is snapping past hey mountain goat he called how fast do you think i can make this car go faster than the speed of light i said i leaned over the front seat and watched the needle on the speedometer creep up. We were doing 90 miles an hour. You're going to see that little needle go all the way off the dial. Fast forward. Now you've done it. We kids and dad got out and pushed the car to the side of the road while mom steered. Dad lifted the hood. I watched while he and Brian studied the smoking grease encrusted engine and discussed the parts by name. Then I went to sit in the car with mom, Lori, and Maureen. Lori gave me a disgusted look as if she thought it was my fault that the car had broken down. Why do you always encourage him? She asked. Don't worry. I said, dad will fix it. Well, dad didn't fix it because he didn't have the proper tools. So they fucking walked. Well, they get picked up by a nice lady. Yeah. And then fucking Johnette gets mad because the lady was like, those poor kids must be dying for us. We're not poor, I said. She had used that word one too many times. Of course you're not, the lady quickly replied. I didn't mean it that way, but I could tell she had. The lady grew quiet for the rest of the trip. No one said much. As soon as she dropped us off, dad disappeared. I waited on the front steps until bedtime, but he hadn't come home because he wanted to go fucking drink because he's a piece of shit. The dad obviously has a lot of childhood trauma that he just yes, <laughs> Which is kind of sad. I, I wouldn't even say kind of. That is really sad. Oh, no, it's super fucking sad. Especially when we find out what fucking childhood drama is. All right, three days later, and this is when we know, it's like, dad tripped on the coffee table. When we tried to help him, he cursed and lurched at us, swinging his fist. He wanted to know where that goddamn sorry-ass mother of our was, and he got so mad when we didn't tell him that he pulled over grandma's china closet, sending her fine bone china crashing to the floor. Like, it's one thing to be a drunk, it's another to be a violent drunk. Mm-hmm. Rosemary, you're one hell of a woman, Dad said. Mom told him he was a stinking rotten drunk. Yeah, but you love this old drunk, don't you, Dad said. Mom said no at first. She didn't. But Dad kept asking her again and again. And when she finally said yes, the fight disappeared from both of them. Vanished as if it had ever exi- never existed. Dad started laughing and hugging Mom, who was laughing and hugging him. It was as if they were so happy they hadn't killed each other that they had fallen in love all over again. I said, what the fuck? I mean, they just feed off of each other's toxicity. Really what it is. And then Mom began talking dad had got back onto the booze and it wasn't even that far from your birthday he no. almost killed himself trying like for nothing but then this is where we see the mom start to talk about moving to Virginia and the dad is like mm, no I don't really want to and they end up getting a car that doesn't even fucking work really and the mom shouldn't even be driving but somehow she is and then finally as they're leaving the dad says okay I'll come along okay but my whole thing is like how is the mom at this point not pissed that she's not making it as an artist that's probably why she acts the way she does because like she's trying 
trying to like, she doesn't have an outlet. So she's acting the way she is. I mean, she does have an outlet. She's buying all these art supplies. She's just not selling anything. At least not that Jeanette has mentioned. Right. And then I also put, how far do you think they would have made it with the mom driving? Not very far. Because like, obviously one, she can't drive. And then two, motherfucker can't even see. Like, I think she's legally blind without glasses. That's probably why she's a horrible driver on top of already being just a horrible driver in general. I can't say it because it's sexo. But part three, Welch. Um, I have something on page 130. Yeah, I didn't have anything on 129. So they're meeting the grandparents and then mom's like, welcome to Welch. And then they're like, pleased to meet you, grandma. And then she's like, my name is not grandma. My name is Irma. And they're like, that's Ted. And he's like, but you can call me grandpa. Don't bother me none being a grandpa. Which says one, a lot about Irma to begin with. And then they're living in the basement and apparently the children laughing is is too much. Which is unfortunate that you have a grandma like this, but it's like, I had a grandma just like this too. So like you wish, like looking back, you wish you had a grandma that genuinely cared about you. But it's also like, thank you for showing me how not to be. Irma's a fucking turd. See, I don't think my grandparents ever had like problems with us like running around and laughing because we used to play like games in their house. We used to make a mess out of my grandparents' like houses. Like it was looking back, probably good thing they weren't mean. No, mine was absolutely horrible grandmother i know but. Your grandma was a terrible grandma not as bad as irma but she was still pretty shitty irma sucks big old donkey balls she sure fucking does but that's i had the same comment that you had so i don't have anything until um 137 okay i have something about the river and the mm-hmm. dad the dad is like the river's name was tug and he's like maybe in the summer we can go fishing and swimming and then it's like the county had no sewer systems he explained so people so when people flushed their johns the discard went straight into the tug and sometimes the river flooded and the rod water rose as high as the treetops dad pointed to the toilet paper up in the branches along the river's banks the tug dad said had the highest level of fecal bacteria of any river in north america why do you want to swim and fish in the river of shit well didn't he say like that's why we won't go fishing and no. swimming didn't he say they would no he shook his head oh okay. no he, he was saying she no he was like no you don't go swimming and fishing okay. yeah and I, he was explaining no I you don't want to go sorry i was like you can't encourage people to go swimming and and fishing in the river of literal shit <laughs> oh that's so gross oh yeah um i was okay so i do have one comment about 135 when i'll bet there aren't any other artists living in welch she said I won't have any competition. My career would really take off there. Bitch, you should have taken off in Arizona because it's more populated. Maybe you're just not a good artist. See, that's what I was really curious and I wanted to look up her mom's art, but I was, I also put, I was like, lady, no one wants your art in a mining town. Yeah. Like they can't even afford to eat. What makes you think they can like People can barely afford their fucking houses here. You think they want your overpriced desert art? Ridiculous. And then they're like, oh, we're going to the elementary school. We don't have any records. But they both got placed in special classes for students with learning learning disabilities. And I started laughing, not because that's funny, but it's because I got placed in a learning disability class in first grade because I didn't know how to read. What? Yeah, so they thought I had a learning disability. Why couldn't you read? Because I, I didn't. I was never taught how to read. They didn't teach you how to read in kindergarten? Mm-mm. I went to a Catholic school and it was not taught. What? Yeah. That's insane. And then I got to second grade and they're like, oh, wow, you're reading at a fifth grade level. I was like, yeah, I'm not dumb. You guys thought I was dumb. <laughs> it it might not have been like a learning disability disability where they're just like, you just need some extra help because you were not taught 
that. No, I was, I was put in a different class. I got pulled out of my fourth grade class to like do like a spelling remedial class. And I only did it for like a couple of weeks. And then they told me I didn't have to go anymore. And I was like, I'm still <laughs> terrible at spelling. So I feel like a lot of people are. And just this one girl... With like spell check nowadays like i don't i don't feel yeah. the need to to be good at spelling because the internet this was one me. girl i used to sit next to and we had to do a spelling test a fucking spelling test and she missed 17 words out of i think we did 30 words or something like that i mean was it hard tell me how my friend got the word sheriff wrong tbh if i don't write it down i don't know how to spell sheriff but like there it was words like subpoena like okay like or what's an, what's another law enforcement fucking word subpoena misdemeanor sheriff some words where i'm just like oh homicide i think was one of them manslaughter like it was like guys how do you not know these fucking words i feel like you would make fun of me because i'm like half of those i'd be like eh, i don't think i know off the top of my head how to spell that oh i was like subpoena that's how i remember it okay that's so funny my little sister works with like someone who like she's russian and um she was talking about like debris on teeth so she spelled it debris instead of debris debris <laughs> and they're like they're looking at her nose and like what the fuck <laughs> english is not her first language leave her alone yeah you, you can't get mad as one who's first, not their first language but like first language like if you only speak english and you can't i don't know i'm terrible sheriff but anyway I'm not going to judge. But, and then they get bullied because they're the smelly, poor kid. Yeah, which is, like, so sad. I feel like it's pretty normal for, like, the the poor kids who don't shower regularly, who wear, like, old, smelly clothes. The parents are setting them up to be bullied. Right, right. Or children are mean. Yeah, kids are fucking mean. But then we can also see the other kids and the habitats, the places that they're grown up in and how they're raised. Like, it's a learned behavior. Well, with how violent the dad is, I'm surprised Brian isn't meaner. Right. And I did have a comment on page 140 uh, about the fighting. I thought of discussing the fighting with dad, but I didn't want to sound like a whiner. Also, he'd rarely been sober since we arrived in Welch, and I was afraid that if I told him, he'd show up at school snockered and make things even worse. So I'm like, that's really sad that your own child can't go to you because of how you might react. Also, I think it's stupid that the kids are in learning disability classes because they don't have the same accent. Right. Well, I don't say what? But it's true. Like, I've heard people talk like that here, and I'm like, what did you say? But then I've been told, oh, you sound like you've been, you, you sound educated. What does that mean? I'm from Colorado we don't have accents up there i think it's hilarious because like when luke and i went to london he was so excited he's like i get to fucking hear english again like i'll be able to understand people in the airport and the lady said something and we both like looked at her like i think what came out of your mouth was english but i have no idea what you fucking just said or it's like me trying to listen to someone who has a tennessee accent and i'm like can you repeat that a lot slower yeah and you're like Am I am I dumb or do I just not understand? Sometimes I just feel like my ears don't work. Yeah, I feel the same way. Do you know, is her name pronounced Jeanette or is it Jeanette? It might be Jeanette. Okay. I just keep saying Jeanette because there's a place in Louisiana called Jeanette. Oh, well, I was like, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> I think it's Jeanette, like Jeanette McCurdy. I, okay. All I know is the three black girls start bullying Jeanette because her coat doesn't have buttons. And then Jeanette's like, no, I think we're all equal. And then they bully her even more. But then... Next chapter. That same day... Oh, are we in the next chapter? Sorry, I think I went ahead. The dog. We'll talk about the lard sandwiches first. What page? 140. Okay. So the bullying continues and the large girl whose name is Danette Hewitt always like stares at her and waits her for to be done with lunch and she 
she's eating her lard sandwiches, which is basically something her grandma makes her. And it's just two pieces of bread with lard smeared between them. That is disgusting. Why do you think that's appropriate sustenance for a growing child. Right. But then it's she's probably just happy that she's getting food. Yeah, I guess. But then on 141, she saves a guy from, or this little kid from a dog and she takes him to the house that he like lives at and Denisha her bully watches her and so the next day Denisha makes a peace offering doesn't ever apologize but makes peace offering and asks for help on an English assignment and so she was not bullied again by this group but then we learn that Irma's a racist fuck I hate Irma I hate Irma so much. I have said on page 142, I'm so excited to read about a book about child abuse. And it also has racism in it. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I Lori, is on Lori gave me a hug when she heard I told off Irma. On page 143. And I was like, I guess we have to give it to the parents because they aren't racist. Right. Yeah. Where mom says they're just like us, except they have different complexions. But then this is on 144. I hate Irma. I told mom, you have to show compassion for her. Mom said Irma's parents had died when she was young. Mom explained and that she had been shipped off to one of one relative after another who treated her like a servant, scrubbing clothes on a washboard until her knuckles bled. That was the preeminent memory of Irma's childhood. The best thing grandpa did for her when they got married was buy her an electric washing machine. But whatever joy it had once given her was long gone. Irma can't like go of her misery. It's all she knows. Everyone has something good about them. You have to find that redeeming quality and love the person for them. Oh yeah, I said, how about Hitler? What was his redeeming quality? Hitler loved dogs, mom said without hesitation. Why do I feel like she's made this argument before? <laughs> That's exactly like without hesitation. So you've thought about this and that makes it okay. Also, liking dogs is not a good quality. Right. It's an interest. Oh, stupid. I don't like her. And anyway. then the mom and dad, we're in the next chapter, are like, we're going back to Phoenix. We're not bringing you children, though. So enter abandonment issues. Oh, this is the this is the part that makes me so well, I angry. I put on my thing, I was like, do you think the parents are going to come back? I was like, they have to come back. I think they just won't. I don't know why they left. Yeah. Well, I think they were said they were going to go grab their stuff. Which they didn't even come back with because the fucking car broke down. Okay, but they were like, we're going to bring stuff back. And mom put stuff out on the laundry line to make it look like people live there still. But also, if your laundry is just staying out there for a long time, people know you don't right. live there. Also, you left the the door unlocked, the windows open, even when you did live there. What was to stop the homeless people from coming in and stabbing all of you and stealing your stuff? Right. Maybe because this book was written so long ago, like that wasn't a thing. Now, definitely. Like, oh, yeah. Even if you're awake, you can't have your door unlocked because some drugged up teenager will come into your house and fucking kill you because he thinks you're a vampire. I don't know. Not the vampire. But this is where we go into the... Mm. I hate Irma. I put no, Brian. Yeah. So about a week after mom and dad left, we were kids all sitting in Irma. We kids were all sitting in Irma's living room watching TV. Stanley was sleeping in the foyer. Irma, who had been drinking since before breakfast, told Brian that his britches needed mending. He started to take them off, but Irma said she didn't want him running around the house in his skivvies or with a towel wrapped around him looking like he was wearing a goddamn dress. It was it would be easier for her to mend the britches while he was still wearing them. She ordered him to follow her into grandpa's bedroom where she kept her sewing kit. They had been gone for a minute or two when I heard Brian weakly protesting. I went into grandpa's bedroom and saw Irma 
Norma kneeling on the floor in front of Brian, grabbing at the crotch of his pants, squeezing and kneading while mumbling to herself and telling Brian to hold still, goddammit. Brian, his cheeks wet with tears, was holding his hands protectively between his legs. Irma, you leave him alone, I shouted. Irma, still on her knees, twisted and glared around and glared at me. Why, you little bitch, she said. Lori heard the commotion and came running. I told Lori that Irma was touching Brian in the way that she ought not to be. Irma said she was merely mending Brian's inseam and that she shouldn't have to defend herself from some lying little whore's accusations. I know what I saw, I said. She's a pervert. And then they began fighting each other and were banished to the basement. I don't even have to ask what kind of garbage human being sexually assaults their fucking grandchild. Because it's Irma. She's a monster. Irma sucks. I hate her. I hate Irma but then, more than I hate But then they get parents. mad. The dad gets mad and says, I don't care what happened, but we were just protecting ourselves, I said. Brian's a man. He can take it. I don't want to hear another word of this. Do you hear me? He was shaking his head, but wildly, almost as if he thought he could keep out the sound of my voice. He wouldn't even look at me. Dad was really weird, I said, because someone had to say it. You'd be weird too if Irma was your mom, Lori said. You think she ever did something like that to dad? No one said a thing. It was gross and creepy to think about, but it would explain a lot why dad left home as soon as he could, why he drank so much, and why he was so angry, why he never wanted to visit Welch when we were younger, and why he at first refused to come to West Virginia with us and only at the last possible moment overcame his reluctance and jumped into the car. And if the mom knew about it and she still said we're going to West Virginia, it makes her an even worse person. Yeah, and I can't even blame the dad for not working out his issues because I'm pretty sure this is like the 70s or the 80s. So it's like, there wasn't help for them back then. But it's just so infuriating. It's like, you see generation, like abuse is generational. Mm-hmm. Just watch it trickle down like from Irma to the dad to the way the dad is treating his own children like it's a wonder that his kids aren't fucking insane it's amazing how well balanced they are according to Jeanette's point of view right like maybe they're not terrible yet and then we get to the next section and then the parents are like they made it to to Phoenix and mom's laundry on the clothesline boy hadn't kept out intruders so they did all that work to get to Phoenix to come back with absolutely fucking nothing and then the old Smallville died. And then I think they get kicked out of the house. Yeah, they get kicked out of the house, uh, but then they find a new place, but it just doesn't have indoor plumbing. Right, like indoor plumbing's not a necessity. And I guess it's not, <laughs> as long as you have something to keep out the coal. Because, like, we can really go Maslow's, is it the hierarchy of need at this point? Mm-hmm. But I really didn't have too much for this chapter, just because it was them talking about the house. And, you know, at the end of the chapter... Jeanette was like, are we ever going home? I asked dad one day. Home? Phoenix. This is home now. I said, new house, new problems. But you know what? You're away from the pedophile. True. And then the next chapter starts with seeing how Welch was our new home. Brian and I figured we'd make the best of it. And they start again making plans for the glass castle. Yeah. But because they couldn't afford fucking garbage. Okay. Well, first of all, Brian and Jeanette started digging a hole because they're like, oh, this is going to be the foundation for the glass castle. Well, they couldn't afford trash collection so the hole that they fucking buried or dug is now for garbage and then they have a giant rat which is absolutely disgusting that made me just like my skin crawl uh disgusting stop 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 this rat was not just eating the sugar he was bathing in it wallowing in it positively luxuriating in it his flickering tail hanging over the side of the bowl flinging sugar across the table when i saw him i froze and then backed out of the kitchen 
I told Brian and we opened the kitchen door cautiously. The rat climbed out of the sugar bowl and leapt onto the stove. We could see his teeth marks on the pile of our potatoes. Our dinner on the plate on the stove. Brian threw a cast iron skillet at the rat. It hit him and clanged on the floor. But instead of playing, the rat hissed as if we were the intruders. We ran out of the kitchen and slammed the door and stuffed rags into the gap beneath it. And then the rat comes to this fucking rat is the terrorist. Isn't it like, yeah, and it's like in Maureen's face as she's sleeping. Yeah, like poor Maureen just is never going to be able to sleep ever again. No, like she's got like the boogeyman's people with the Halloween mask and now she has this rat that's after her. Yeah. And then the Jack Russell dog kills the rat. Hell yeah, tingle, tinkle, tinkle. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my brain wants to put a G in there. And then the... I. Ooh, the mom. Mom said she felt a little sorry for the rat. Rat Rats need to eat too. I saw a rat bathing in my sugar bowl because I have an uncontrollable sweet tooth. Burn that fucking house down. Disgusting. <laughs> Don't they like hang the rat? Yeah, and then the neighbor thought it was like a possum, so he shot it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see here, like, she's sleeping with a baseball bat. Brian, Brian has a machete and poor Maureen can't sleep at all. And then we find out Maureen just like makes excuses to, at least Maureen is getting like supported by someone who's not her family. Right. Right. Yeah. By making friends and being away from them. Yeah. And then what are we going to do about the garbage pit? I asked. It's almost filled up. Enlarge it, mom said. I would just burn it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, why don't you just burn it? Like, I mean, y'all already have like a weird obsession with like Jeanette was lit on fire as a child. We're going to set the Christmas tree on fire. Why not just make a a giant burn pit? Um, Fire has a a fire has a lot to do in this book. (laughs) I know. Maybe when we get to our drunk review, we can talk about maybe fire has more of like a symbolic kind of thing that we can talk about at the end. Um, And then Jeanette tries to paint the house yellow. Yeah, because she's like, maybe this will change the house. And then no one wanted to help her. (laughs) And then she just has a part yellow house. Fortunate. She just wants, she like, but this is where you can start to see, like, she's starting to see, like, our environment is what makes us. And like, we're living in like this gross, garbage filled, rodent infested. Like, she's like, I just want it clean. Like, I just want it to be a happy environment. And maybe by changing the house, that might help. And like, everyone's like, no, that's not going to do anything. She's like, I just, I just want it to look better. Yeah. And like, you can tell, like, she's just like, that's where her thinking of like, okay, like maybe my parents aren't as great as I thought they were. Yeah. And then she makes friends with Cindy Thompson, but Cindy Thompson trusts her recruit her into being a junior member of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> so she's like comparing herself to all the people on the street. And oh, then, the camera's talking about... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. And then the Grady boys are fucking insane. There's like 12 of them with no dad. And don't they like bully them? And Yeah, and then they try to shoot at them again. Yeah, and then don't, fucking the kids, like, don't the kids like make this elaborate trap on the road and almost kill them yeah with a bunch of rocks the battle of little hobart street yeah really quick though on page 159 so she's talking about all these friends or whatever and she's saying some of the moms had no husbands and some of the dads had black lungs the rest were either too distracted by their troubles or just plain unmotivated so pretty much everyone grudgingly accepted some form of public aid although we were the poorest family in little hobart street mom and dad never applied for welfare or food stamps and they always refused charity when teachers gave us bags of clothes from church drives mom made us take them back we can 
take care of our own, mom and dad like to say. We don't accept handouts from anyone. And this genuinely made me upset because I was like, I get it. It's a whole pride thing. You don't want to seem like you're a charity case, but it's like your children have no clothes. You are living in an actual garbage dump. When are you going to let go of that mentality and just accept what's going to benefit your children? Forget you. What about your fucking kids as it should be? So that's where I got upset because I was like, but and she made it such a short paragraph. It was like something to gloss over. And it's like, no, your parents did not give a shit about you. They thought they did. So that's that was my two cents for that. But the thing about that is you see and from the beginning, like it never changes. Like the mom is literally digging through the garbage in the first scene of the book. So it's like she 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 doesn't do it for herself. She's obviously not going right. to do it for her children. Right. Because we see later how shitty the mom is about priorities. And then we get to meet Ginny Sue Pastor and she is a prostitute. But it gets a chicken on the table. You know what? And then Jeanette fucking skins that chicken and Ginny Sue is like, girl, you can come to my house and skin all the chickens you want. You did great. I, I can't even say this. Some sex, some sex workers are just the nicest people. Right. <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't be mean because that's what they have to do. She's not wrong though. It gets fucking chicken on the table. Yeah. Like at least she's doing something to feed her family. Right. Whereas the mom is freeloading. Isn't her husband like handicapped or something? I don't know why he doesn't work. I don't know. They didn't really say why, but they just said that. Yeah, but on page 162, she says, Girl, Janice, says, in all my days, I have never seen no one pluck pick a chicken as clean like you. And they get, they mix it in a bowl with mayonnaise and cheese whiz and a handful of potato chips and add it. And then they put it on Wonder Bread and they're like, birds in a blanket. Me, that sounds disgusting, but it's probably fine because it's food. But this is what made me happy. You strike me as the kind of girl who's one day going to be eating roast chicken and those on fire desserts just as much as you want. Like that's the one good thing that we've read in this book. I do have high hopes from for Jeanette. I have mm-hmm. high hopes for all of the kids because from what we've seen so far, I don't know about Maureen because it's not like talked about, but the other three, the older three are really smart. And if they can kind of see through their, their parents' bullshit at this point, I feel like they might be the ones to break the the cycle. Yeah. And then in the next chapter, it starts with, we fought a lot in Wells, not to just fend off our enemies, but to fit in. Oh yeah. This is where the uh, battle of little, little Hobart street. street. Yeah. I put uh, that's on page 166. And I'm like, these kids are ruthless. They're fucking insane. Yeah. Jeanette has already shot a gun at a kid in the desert. Like what happens when someone actually dies? Right. I know. Does someone actually die? It says they don't come back. So what they do is they piled the rocks back on the mattress, re-rigged the cattle pole, and waited. After a couple of minutes, Ernie and his gangs reappeared at the switchback. Each of them rode and carried an, an egg-sized rock in his throwing hand. They were pers- they proceeded single file like a po- like a Pawnee war party a few feet apart. We couldn't get them all at once, so we aimed for Ernie who was the head of the pack. Brian gave the word. We jerked the ropes and the mattress shot forward and our arsenal of rocks flew through the air. I heard them thud against Ernie's body in a clatter of the road. He screamed and cursed and his bike skidded. The kid behind Ernie ran into him and they both fell. The other two turned around and sped off. Brian and I started hurling whatever rocks were at cans since they were downhill. We had a good line of fire and scored several direct hits. And then Brian yelled, charge! And they came barreling down the hill and they're like, they furiously put it away. So I don't think anyone died, but they're obviously not coming back. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't but think anything. what if anything. you had hit one of the kids in the head and they weren't wearing a helmet? Okay. I get that they were antagonizing you, but what if you had actually killed someone? 
I'm just like the safety concerns. Where are the where are the adults? Why are the adults not responsible? Well, it's it's obvious the parents have not done or parents don't really give a shit what their kids are doing. Yeah, um, they're talking about how the weather is finally warming up and they get to read more now. Oh, that her favorite books are the Grapes of Wrath, Lord of the Flies, and A Tree Grows in Book Brooklyn. My whole thing is you do not have a job, ma'am. What do you do all day? And apparently she's just fucking reading. Like, clean the fucking house. Go get a day job. Mom, I know. Don't have kids to watch anymore. You wouldn't have to worry about fucking money. Oh, and then, oh my gosh, this is just, this is so traumatizing for her. On the, and one night that summer when I was laying in bed and everyone else was asleep, I heard the front door open, the sound of someone muttering and stumbling around the darkness. Dad had come home. I went into the living room where he was sitting on the drafting table. I could see by the moonlight coming through the window that his face and hair were matted with blood. I asked him what happened. I got in a fight with the mountain and the mountain won. Okay. And so then she had to sew up his cut and she's like, no, I don't think I can do it. And she like picked out the rocky grit that was in the gash and she poured rubbing alcohol and so she basically sewed up her dad even though she refused to do it she still did it i don't know i really worry about like the infection (laughs) right the infection here but yeah so when i when we came home in the evening dad was gone again Mm -hmm. and then the next chapter starts with daddy taking to disappearing it for days at a time. Oh, this part grossed me out. Once, when an extra big royalty check came in, mom bought us a whole canned ham. We ate off of it for days, cutting thick slices for sandwiches. Since we did not have a refrigerator, we left the ham on a kitchen shelf. After I had been there for about a week, I saw I went to saw myself a slab for dinner time and found it crawling with little white worms. Mom was sitting on the sofa bed eating the pea she'd cut. Mom, that ham's full of maggots, I said. Don't be so picky. Just slice off the maggoty parts. The inside's fine. Yeah, I know that was gross. Yeah. Oh, Oh, okay. Really quick before I get to what I want to say, uh, let's talk about how they would resort to stealing people's food. Not even stealing. It was that that people would throw away their food and then they'd go in the trash and dig for the food and that she had put a bologna sandwich in her backpack, but she felt that everyone was going to know that she had it. So she went back to the bathroom and threw it away. But then this is where I get pissed. We see the struggles that these kids are having with no food, right? And then mom kept disappearing under the blanket on the sofa bed. At one point, Brian looked over. Are you chewing something? He asked. My teeth hurt, she said, but she was getting all shifty-eyed, glancing around the room and avoiding our stairs. It's my bad gums. I'm working my jaw to increase the circulation. Brian yanked the covers back. Lying on the mattress next to mom was one of those huge family-sized Hershey chocolate bars. The shiny silver wrapper pulled back and torn away. She'd already eaten half of it. Mom started crying. I can't help it. I'm a sugar addict, just like your father's an alcoholic. She told us that we should forgive her the same way we always forgive dad for his drinking. None of us said a thing. Brian snatched up the chocolate and divided it into four pieces while mom washed. We wolfed them down. Either way, like your husband is wasting money on alcohol, which could be put towards food and you have money to buy chocolate but you're selfish and eating it for yourself and then Jeanette also makes the mention that the mom has been gaining weight somehow so like you're eating food without your fucking children and your children are starving I'm like that's what I was saying and they won't even accept help from welfare and they won't take handouts so it's like first of all is this money coming from her property in Texas and then she's just Mm -hmm. using it for herself and not her kids which wouldn't surprise me because seems like yeah and then winter came hard that year and she She's like, I like winter because it makes everything look a lot cleaner. The mom said that? No, that Jeanette says that. Oh, okay. Which is accurate. I have something on 176. Ew, go ahead. I don't oh have anything. God. So Brian somehow has an iguana. Oh, yeah. I think I 
texted you when this happened to me. Do you remember this? I was pet sitting for a friend who had a lizard and it was November and they're like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, don't just don't touch the heat lamp. I didn't touch the heat lamp. I had just fed him and it was kind of warm. And then like the next weekend when I was pet sitting, it snowed and it got really cold. And then it had been like a day and I was like, hey, the lizard hasn't moved. Oh yeah, you did tell me about this. I'm pretty sure I called you crying because the lizard died while I was watching it because it got cold because the heat lamp like didn't work and I didn't know and he died. And I was reading about how Brian's iguana died. It was just so, (laughs) I was like reliving that memory and I was like, oh God, no. 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 Well, I know when there's like the iguana froze to death. I was like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah, I was like, that's what happened to the lizard. I was pet sitting. I was like, no, I hated it. I have another one at 179. Oh, is this more fire stuff? <laughs> Yes. I have the same thing marked. Go for it. So warm fall in January seemed like good news, but then snow started melting and the wood in the forest became totally soaked. Dad was disdainful of a fire started like kerosene. No true frontiersman would ever stoop to use it, which I've heard many people say that before. But anyway, it wasn't cheap. And since it didn't burn hot, it took a lot to make the wood catch fire. Also, it was dangerous. Dad said that if you got sloppy with kerosene, it would explode. But still, if the wood was wet and didn't want to catch and we were all freezing, we'd still pour a little kerosene on it. One day, Brian and I climbed the hillside to try to find some dried wood while Lori stayed in the house stoking the fire. As Brian and I were shaking the snow off some promising branches, we heard a loud boom from the house. I turned and saw flames leap from inside the windows. We dropped our wood and ran back down the hill. Lori was lurching around the living room. Her eyebrows and bangs all singed off and the smell burned hair in the air. She had used kerosene to try to get the fire going better and it exploded, just like Dad said it would. Nothing in the house except Lori's hair caught on fire, but the explosion had brown, black, had blown back her coat and skirt and the flames had scorched her thighs. Brian went out and got some snow and we packed it on Lori's legs, which were a dark pink. The next day, she had blisters the length of her thighs. Just remember, Mom said after examining the blisters, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If that was true, I'd be Hercules by now, Lori said. Days later, when the blisters burst, the clear liquid inside ran down to her feet. For weeks, the fronts of her legs were open sores, so sensitive that she had trouble sleeping under blanket. But by then, the temperature had fallen again, and if she kicked off the blanket, she froze. I really, truly fucking do not like this lady. There's no way they're going to take the kids to a hospital after what happened to Jeanette. Oh, you're right, because the doctors don't no shit. I think the next chapter, Irma dies. Good. <laughs> and then it says, Irma's death brought out mom's pious side. While we were waiting for the preacher, she took out her rosary and prayed for Irma's soul, which she feared was in jeopardy since as she saw it, Irma had committed suicide. She also tried to make us kiss Irma's corpse. We flat out refused. But mom went up in front of the mourners, genuflected with a grand sweep and then kissed Irma's check cheeks so vigorously you could hear the puckering sound throughout the chapel but yeah that's gross so i can't and then Lori says ding dong the witch is dead and the dad hears it you kids make me ashamed do you hear me ashamed you're and then Lori says you're ashamed of us yeah and death just kept walking okay here's here's the thing about people's moms dying. I can't imagine how the dad feels having the woman who is supposed to have loved him the most ever in his life die, but that woman is also his abuser. Mm-hmm. I know why the dad has problems. <laughs> which makes sense. Which makes sense now. But then dad doesn't come home and then and so has to, go find has to go find him. Right. Because he'll listen to her. Yeah. And then I have something to say on page 184 which makes me hate the mom even more. Go for it, because I probably have the same. So yep. to set the scene. I have the same thing, Mark. Oh, of course you do, because I know exactly what you're saying. 
to set the scene, they're at, I think they moved out of Irma's house and um, the grandpa and Uncle Stanley are in an apartment and they go there to go take baths and stuff. So Lori's taking her bath. Mom is working on a crossword puzzle and Jeanette's sitting on the couch next to Uncle Stanley. She says, I felt Uncle Stanley's hand creeping onto my thigh. I looked at him, but he was staring at the hee-haw honey so intently that I couldn't be sure he was doing it on purpose. So I knocked his hand away without saying anything. A few minutes later, his hand came creeping back. I looked down and saw that Uncle Stanley's pants were unzipped and he was playing with himself. I felt like hitting him but I was afraid I would get in trouble the way Lori had after punching Irma. So I hurried out to mom. Mom, Uncle Stanley is behaving inappropriate, which is the most mature thing I think I would ever hear. She's yeah. like 11. Oh, you're probably imagining it. He groped me and he's wanking off. Mom cocked her head and looked concerned. Poor Stanley. He's so lonely. Your daughter literally just told you he was, she was sexually assaulted by this man. Is it assault? Is it harassment? It, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's assault because he's touching her. Oh, okay. Sorry. But yes. I, no, like, I don't know specifics. So that's your realm. I'll give that to you. But it's like your child is telling you she's been assaulted. And you're like, two of your children. He's so lonely. By this fucking family. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Oh, and then Jeanette then says, I refuse to go back to grandpa's. But it also, did he also try to touch Lori? Is like, right. Or Maureen? Like, is everyone okay? Maureen's just been deuces. Maureen is like, I have friends. I don't need to hang out in your gross little rat infested cesspool. But then here's another point for mom for being the worst mother in the world. Go into the next. I know exactly what Brian and uh, Jeanette find a ring and it's a genuine ring and they take it to their mom who gets it appraised and they ask what is it worth that doesn't matter how come because we're not selling it she was keeping it she explained to replace the wedding ring her mother had given her the one dad had pawned shortly after they got married the mom I said that ring could get us a lot of food that's true but it could also improve my self-esteem and at times like these self-esteem is even more vital than food not when your children are fucking dead from starvation the audacity of this woman. And also, do you know how big two carat diamonds are? That gang ring is probably ginormous. How much does it cost now? Let's see what. Oh, if it's a genuine two carat diamond, probably like tens of thousands of dollars. What's the number, Maria? Two carat round diamond D color, 51,000. Told you. This one is an oval, 28,000. Either way, that is worth tens of thousands of dollars. And she's going to keep it for her self esteem. But then, but then fucking. The next page. Mom, we can't go living like this. It's not so bad. We haven't had anything to eat but popcorn for three days, I said. You're always so negative. You remind me of my mother. Criticize, criticize, criticize. Yeah, no shit, because you're fucking starving your children, you dumb bitch. I'm not being negative, I said. I'm trying to be realistic. I'm doing the best I can under the circumstances. Are you really? But you refuse to get a fucking job, and you think your art's going to go off, but it obviously hasn't exploded in Phoenix or fucking well. But anyway, how come you never blame your father for anything? He's no saint, you know. Bitch, neither of you guys are fucking saints. You're horrible parents and you don't deserve to have children. But then Jeanette says, Mom, you have to leave Dad. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe that you of all people would turn on your father. You just said that you were defending your father. Now you're saying that she's turned on her father. How can you do this to him? This is when Jeanette says, I don't blame dad. I said, and I didn't. Dad seemed hell-bent on destroying himself. And I was afraid he was going to pull us all down with him. We've got to get away. But I can't leave your father. 
I told mom that if she had left dad, she'd be eligible for government aid, which she couldn't get now because she had an able-bodied husband. Some people at school, not to mention half the people on Little Hobart Street, were on welfare and it wasn't so bad. I knew mom was opposed to welfare, but those kids got food stamps and club clothings, allowances. The state bought them coal and paid for their school lunches. Mom wouldn't hear of it. Welfare, she said, would cause irreparable psychological damage to these kids. You can be hungry every now and then, but once you eat, you're okay. You can get a cold for a while, but you'll always warm up. Once you go on welfare, it changes you. Even if you get off welfare, you never escape the stigma that you were a charity case. You're scared. You're scarred for life. Fine. If we're not charity cases and get a job. That sounds like an awful life, mom said. Worse than this. And she says, I can't leave your father. It's against the Catholic faith. And anyways, you know your mom. I'm an excitement addict. No, you're a fucking stupid bitch. But you get excited when one of your children die, because that's what's going to happen. Except they won't. This isn't in Angela's ashes. Not all the children die in this book. No. And then it's, the next chapter is, Mom never told Dad that Jeanette was like, hey, you should leave Dad. And then I think, hey, let's go fucking swimming. And then they're like kicked out of the pool because they're garbage kids. Which is so sad, but like kids are fucking mean. But then Denisha's like, why don't you come swimming with me? And she's like, wouldn't anyone get mad? And she's like, because you're white, she asked. Your own kind might, but we won't. Your kind won't be there. And I was like, so nice that she's inviting her to come swimming with her. Yeah, I thought that was touching. And like, at first they were like, oh, who's this little girl? And then Denisha's like, she's with me. And she had so much fun. And she felt the cleanest she had ever felt. She was also terrified of some nips. Yeah, I mean. I'm scared of nipples she, too. She's, okay. she's right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Some people just show it off. Good for them. I I like it depends on my my mood. If I'm like not used to those people, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna change here. If I don't know them, okay, I'm gonna go change. And then we talk about how the collars gotta match the cuffs. That was a new thing. I've I'd never heard of it that way. I always know to do them curtains match the drapes. drapes. Yeah. Yeah. And so she never felt cleaner. Wow. And we're done with this section. We have one more section, guys. No more child abuse. Well, maybe next session, but after that, no more child abuse. Hopefully not. Do you have to cut discussion questions or anything in this section that you would like to re-harp on? I think one of my discussion questions is, do you think Jeanette was trying to make her parents seem like the bad guys in this book? Or do you think she was just trying to like talk about her childhood and not really make her parents seem like bad guys and that they just came out that way? She is so charitable to her parents in so many ways. If they they look like villains. I don't think it was intentional. I think that was actually what happened. Unless we get into the whole talk about why we don't like memoirs where we're like, how believable is this? How much is this you skewing it? But with how, how charitable she is towards her parents, I find it hard to believe that she would make it up and then give grace, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're trying to make someone look bad, it's hard to make someone look bad in a nice way. Right. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. Like, I feel like, again, like you said, like, she's so kind to her parents. Like, she tries to counteract their actions with, like, something else that they may have done that was better than what they had done before. But it's like, as the reader, you see, like, no, that's messed up. Like, maybe you growing up as a kid, you thinking that this is normal. But, like, us on the outside, we're like, no, that's not normal. Anyone who was raised in a decent family knows, like, no, your mother shouldn't be keeping a $50,000 ring when you 
have been only eating popcorn for three days. So I think like she didn't mean to make them seem like the bad guys, but in reality, like they definitely do come off as the bad guys, which sorry, your parents suck. It's like not even it's like you're you're bad guys. You're you just made bad choices and it affected your children absolutely terribly. Yes. I don't think we talked about it because we were like, oh, Jeanette goes to go get her dad. But when Jeanette goes to go get her dad at some point, her someone is helping drive her dad home because her dad is a grown man and she is a preteen. He's obviously going to be hard to carry but that kid's like the the guy who's helping her he's like i can't believe you're the drunks kid and she gets really offended about it but it's the second time in the section we kind of see people being like i can't believe this young woman who i see so much potential in is the drunks kid yep so my question for you is how do you think Jeanette is going to get away? Honestly, I think Lori's going to be the first to leave. She's going to get to the point where she's old enough and she's going to she's gonna leave. Um, And then I think Jeanette is going to follow suit, but she's still going to take care of her parents. I think I think Lori probably is like, I'm not dealing any, like doing anything with my parents. They're gone from my life. And I feel Brian might do the same. I think Lori is going to be the one that's like, I love my parents. I know that they have issues, but I need to get away as well. But I'm still going to keep in contact with them because like we see at the very beginning where they go and eat like or she sees her mom she's talking to her mom do you think Jeanette is going to do anything to help her younger siblings when she leaves or do you think she... I think so okay if you were a child in this situation would you have stayed with your family or would you have considered running away I'm gonna pull a Maureen where I haven't technically run away yet but I'm just like literally living at my friend's house yeah also I'm the youngest kid so I'm my mom's favorite like I'm too good for thrift store clothing which is not true because I'm not the youngest <laughs> Hand-me-downs are a thing, and... I, mean, I still wear fucking... I, my brother gave me soccer pants. Yeah. From when he was in middle school, I still wear them. Yeah, I was like, my mom was pretty equal. Like, we got some hand-me-downs. All of us got some new clothes. Like, I, how do you think childhood trauma plays a role in the retelling of the story? Ooh, I think it definitely opened up a lot of maybe... You know for a fact that... Jeanette probably went to therapy before she even decided to write this book. And then just probably like writing this book and going through, she was probably like, holy shit, I really dealt with this. And it probably did open some doors that she probably thought were good to keep closed. But yeah, childhood trauma. And she probably still deals with it too. So I can only imagine. Do you think in writing this book, maybe it was therapeutic for her to like see what happened release. in her childhood? Yeah. And like see where she came from and where she's at now. Do you think she forgives her parents? Do you think she I think it blames her parents? I don't. I think she blames her parents, but I think she definitely does forgive them. And I think it's taken probably a long time to forgive them. And then, so we hear in this book a lot with in the beginning the kids don't really feel like they have a home but after they move to phoenix even when they move to welch we see jeanette considered phoenix their home mm -hmm. what do you think about the concept of home and how the constant moving around affected the kids and their securities or why she thought phoenix of as her home do you think she felt like more she and the other kids think, felt more secure there? I think one is the security thing, but also I think she had better memories in Phoenix, whereas they moved to Welch and it's nothing but we live in a trash home. We got fondled by our, sexually assaulted by our own family. Like it's all been nothing but bad memories in Welch, whereas in Phoenix, that was probably the most normal she felt because they did have a home. They had something to their name. They had their bicycles there. Like they weren't always moving around, whereas they were moving around before, came to Phoenix, and then Welch has been nothing but bad memories. You kind of see the difference in them living in Phoenix where it's like they did 
own things. And then like even when the kids were in school, they were in the the special like you are smart programs versus in Welch. They're like, you are stupid and don't mm-hmm. know how to read, apparently. I don't know. Why did they leave Phoenix again? Because dad lost his job, and then he was uh, trying to investigate the miners' coalition or something Oh, like yeah. The union. Yeah. And then the mom was like, we're leaving. Do you think the dad had any credence to believe that, or he was just, like, bitter? I think he was bitter, but I think he also thought, like, because he was going to stay there. Yeah. But then he probably was like, my wife will literally kill these children. I don't know if he would have the forethought to think that about his wife. Not like kill them. Like, I meant like driving wise. Oh, okay. which is why I was like, like yeah. they both don't yeah, feed no. their kids. Like he doesn't, he's not going to think, oh, my wife's not going to feed my children because he doesn't feed them. He just goes and drinks. I don't know if I would have like gotten in the car with the mom, but you even see like later, Jeanette is going to her mother saying, you need to leave dad. And it's not the kids going to dad being like, you need to leave mom. Mm-hmm. Like obviously even the kids see the dad as more problematic than the mom is. And do you agree with that? I, I guess so. I think Jeanette probably felt more comfortable telling her mom that because she knew if she told her dad that he would probably go off because who's no who's to say that he had been drinking or not what would have been his reaction versus the mom would have been said what she said oh i can't leave him that was the worst of it whereas she were if she were to say something to the dad it could have been a fight or something worse i think the mom is more entitled to things if she if they stay with the mom versus like they stay with the dad if they got the divorce because the mom is entitled to more welfare Mm -hmm. than the dad is at all so it's like even if they did get a divorce and they stay with the dad it's like oh you're still not working and nothing changed whereas they got a divorce and the mom did get welfare she wouldn't but they would be entitled aren't they entitled to welfare now (laughs) i think so i think so with like the amount of money that they make yeah Yeah, but it's just it's just annoying um do you have any theories going forward do you think they're going to stay uh, I think in Welch through high school? I think my... No, I think they're going to move. I think they're going to go to New York or up north, and that's how they're going to eventually end up in New York. I think my biggest thing is that Lori is going to leave first, and that is going to bring maybe the downfall of the family. I mean, it makes sense that Lori will leave first. She's the oldest. Right. But, like, she, she probably... Yeah. That's probably going to lead to, like, the parents and being like, oh, my gosh, we're horrible parents, but then they're going to take it out on the kids. I don't really think the parents are going to be like, oh, we're terrible parents. They're going to be like, Lori sucks. Like, let's just pretend Lori doesn't exist. Doesn't exist anymore. I I think it would just be the parents going into, like, denial and like, oh, Lori's shitty. And then we'll definitely learn, like, the path that Jeanette took. I think Jeanette's going to be the one who, like, takes the other kids away from the parents. But yeah. I mean, I'm excited to read to see where it goes, but it's also like, I don't want to keep reading about all the misfortunes that these kids have to suffer through because of the parents. Do you think we'll have a happy ending? I I want to say yes. I want to hope so. Maybe for the kids, not so for the parents, just because they're we already see that they're still homeless. So do we see a happy ending? The happy ending being Jeanette gets all of them away from the parents, or do you see the happy ending of a reconciliation between the kids and the parents? I just see a happy ending with like just the kids. So yeah, that's my that's my. I feel like that's more realistic. Yeah, because just knowing, seeing the parents and the way that they act now, they're not going to change their ways. You could only hope. You could wish, but no, I don't. I don't think they will. Well, I think that wraps up our episode for today. We hope you enjoyed it, and catch us next time when we finish the last section of again the Glass Castle by Jeanette Wells. What page is that starting on? Starting on page one ninety three to the end. And again, don't forget. Follow us on Instagram at bookswbitches or follow us on 
Spotify, Apple Mute, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And you can DM us on Instagram or you can email us at books, W bitches, bitches is spelled with a one at gmail.com for the reviews of the podcast or if you want us to read a book. But yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.